Hello and welcome to the Faculty Podcast, covering the latest breakthroughs, research, news and insight delivered by the world's leading academic and industry figures. In this episode, Steve Fuller, University of Warwick, discusses the concept of post-truth. So post-truth was the Oxford English Dictionary 2016 Word of the Year. Um, and, uh, and people were talking about this primarily in the context of what most of the experts had regarded as very, unsur- very surprising uh, victory of Donald Trump in the U.S. presidential election. And of course, uh, the Brexit, the, the, the support for Brexit that ended up uh, uh, leading um, British people by the largest number of votes that have ever been cast in an election to actually decide to leave the U- European Union after 40 years. So this was the context in which this idea of post-truth was uh, actually put forward in the dictionary. Um, And so that was the context in which I initially wrote my book. Um, And the thing that was very striking about the 2016 definition in the Oxford English Dictionary was the fact that uh, post-truth was seen as something where people are making decisions on the basis of emotion rather than reason. And my take on this uh, is in fact that's a post-truth way of thinking about what post-truth is because it's being spun against the post-truth people as if the people who voted for Brexit or voted for Trump were somehow just swayed by emotion rather than reason. And I think it's a much more complex story which is why I wrote the book on post-truth. Post-truth is not a new thing. I mean, even though the word was coined only in 2016, in fact, it's been with us from the beginning of Western uh, civilization. And in fact, that is kind of what the point of my book is. And what post-truth involves in the first instance is the ability, as it were, to, as we say in philosophy, go meta. In other words, to think about things not from the standpoint of how they appear on the ground, but in terms of what are the rules of the game by which things are made to appear as they do. So it's kind of like the world from the standpoint of the Matrix, from the film The Matrix, where there's a sense in which there's this outside view, which in in a sense is controlling the show. And I think the post-truth condition is about people understanding that point, getting to that higher level. Now, Plato was really the first philosopher to really put that kind of notion on the table, and he thought it was actually a very dangerous notion for people to have generally. So in other words, he believed that if you're going to have uh, social stability, right, you're going to have to have one person who controls the rules of the game and makes that the truth. Okay? Um, and that was kind of what he was proposing in his, in his book, The Republic, and so forth. And so down through the ages, there were a lot of people who were very much kind of taken by this. Um, and so one very, imp- and, and, and this was very important, for example, in uh, religious contexts, because very often the actual views about the nature of God and how he relates to the world are in fact very uh, tricky and, and would be difficult for ordinary people to understand or be able to rationalize. Uh, but nevertheless, people still have to believe. And so what this led to was an idea of a double truth doctrine. Right? In other words, the theologians and the elites who are running the religions, they have a very sophisticated way of understanding their sacred books, whereas ordinary people just have to be blind believers. So that's called the double truth doctrine, and that's a post-truth phenomenon. And then in the more modern era, uh, starting with Machiavelli, who was probably the first modern political philosopher in the 15th century, um, you start to get this idea that in fact um, there's competition for who controls this higher order level, right? Who, who controls the rules of the game? And so Machiavelli um, actually talked about this in terms of a competition between lions and foxes. And the lions are the defenders of the status quo, 
and the foxes are the insurgents. But what they're both trying to do is basically control the rules of the game by which truth is determined. And his view was that this basically is a kind of cyclical process and there, there's no permanent resolution to the issue. And so we kind of live in this state of endless conflict, you might say. Um, and that's kind of the genealogy of the post-truth condition. Okay, so Vilfredo Pareto um, is a guy who uh, is one of the founders of sociology as a discipline. He's a political was a political economist by training, late 19th, early 20th century figure. Uh, he died in 1923 uh, and was in fact made a member of the House of Lords by Mussolini toward the end of his life. And when I was a student, uh, he was called the Marx of the master class. And that was because he actually had this kind of very Machiavellian sort of understanding of how um, the world works, and so was very much a kind of post-truth thinker. So with Machiavelli, once again, it's this idea of lions and foxes. And Pareto basically turned that into a way of understanding all of, of, of history. Right? So it's not just the political sphere, but every walk of life, there is this circulation of foxes and lions. The lions defending the status quo and the foxes challenging them. The lions using a kind of rhetoric of righteous indignation that if you go against the establishment, the whole world's going to end. And the foxes basically saying, you guys who are the elites who are controlling the show are just corrupt and you're in fact preventing other possibilities which might be more fruitful from coming into being. And so this is kind of, as it were, the rhetorical battle between the lions and the foxes, which Pareto drew attention to, not only in politics, but throughout all of social life. Uh, and and um, it's interesting because um, he was regarded as a really seminal figure in the early 20th century, but in the current period, he's kind of gone into eclipse, but I think with the post-truth condition being discussed more openly, he will become a more prominent figure. Well, post-truth is primarily this idea of being able to go to the second order. So when we talk about reality normally, we normally sort of take things at face value. We typically take for granted that the rules of the game are pretty much as they seem, and in, and in more or less couldn't be other than they are, right? Um, however, the post-truth condition says, ah, actually, you can change the frame of reference. You can think about things in a different way, and suddenly then everything starts to look different. Right, so the sort of things that you thought were good can start looking bad because you've changed the frame of reference. And that's in fact kind of what the, uh, the whole conflict uh, that Machiavelli first drew attention to between the lions and the foxes. What the lions regard as being a very stable social order, the foxes regard as repressive and corrupt. But they're talking about the same thing. They're just regarding it from different frameworks. And it's, so it's that ability to shift the framework and, and this is what the post-truth condition is about. And so one of the things that Donald Trump was very successful at doing at the 2016 campaign was to make it look like the kind of progressive politics that Hillary Clinton was championing and which had this very long pedigree was in fact corrupt and not delivering the goods. And in the case of Brexit, of course, the arguments that were being made by the people who wanted to remain in the European Union about how it made Britain so wealthy and so, and, and so prominent in the world and so forth was actually being used against them to say, no, actually it makes us repressed. We are in fact not being able to determine our own laws. We lost our sovereignty. And in fact, those arguments, the anti-establishment arguments, ended up take, you know, prevailing in the day. And this is in fact what the post-truth condition is about. It's about this ability to shift the frame of reference radically so what previously looked good ends up looking bad and vice versa. 
Well, the post-truth condition, I think the first thing to say is that it affects politics and science equally. Okay? It is not just simply about politics. And I think that the key, way, the key way to think about this is the way in which expertise gets questioned in the post-truth condition. So we have, as it were, we have expertise both in politics and science, right? So we have the expert politicians, the ones who are the legislators, the ones who kind of know stuff, right? So, you know, in the, in the UK, for example, right, it's quite common for members of parliament to actually come from much better educational backgrounds than the people they represent, but the people traditionally trust what they have to say, and that's kind of how it works. So it's, it's really kind of ruled by expertise, even though it's democratized through elections. So that's politics. On the science side, of course, I think it's pretty obvious that science is in a sense ruled by expertise. Not simply at the level that uh, people trust scientists traditionally, even if they don't understand what the scientists are saying, but there's even a kind of hierarchy of that sort within the scientific community itself. Well, the post-truth condition challenges all of that. Uh, and so the post-truth condition basically brings everybody back to square one and say, well, look, but how do you justify your claims? If I don't understand how you're justifying your claims and it doesn't relate to my life as I experience it, then it's potentially invalid. You know, the fact that you have all these degrees, the fact that you've been ruling for this great length of time, right, neither of those things really count for as much. I really want to see what the kinds of goods you can deliver on the ground to me that I can understand. And see, this is where post-truth, in a sense, you might say, is caught up not only with democracy, Right? It's very much part of a kind of democratization move, but also a certain kind of populism in a way, because the people at the end of the day will use their own judgment to judge what the supposed experts are doing, not the other way around. And so in this regard, post-truth potentially has enormously profound consequences for the way we organize both politics and science.